Air conditioners represent about 30% at least of the peak demand. And they are, I would say, the peakiest part of the peak demand. The vast majority of problems on grids are peak problems. The bottom line is we can use our resource to fix any problem that you can trace the air conditioners. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dauenhauer. Today we are talking about the energy potential of ice and the load these things take on our power supply every day. America's finest air conditioner, the RCA air conditioner. The Kelvinator Speedy Mount Air Conditioner. It lets you rest easy. Now's the time to save on Sears installed central air conditioning. Get Unless you live in San Diego or Minnesota, you probably need air conditioning. Growing up in Louisiana, I was panicked when I was told our apartment in San Diego would not have air conditioning. Some college friends and I were going to get jobs out there one summer and I was certain we were going to die. Luckily, we were close to the coast. It should come as no surprise to you that air conditioning makes up a lot of the energy usage in our lives. According to Austin Energy, I was once a customer, your electric bill could be up to 70% the air conditioner's fault. The Department of Energy says 6% of all electric consumption is air conditioning, but that is not the problem. The problem is that we use them all at once, typically less at night, more during the day, and the most when we come home. The result is what we've discussed in the past a duck curve of energy demand that wrecks havoc on our electric grid. Because electricity must be produced at the moment it is demanded, utilities have to turn on more power plants during a short period of the day to keep us cool. What would be ideal, of course, is to smooth that demand out so that fewer power plants run for a longer period of the day. It's far more efficient that way. We've covered this challenge in the past, and as I've said, there will be many more episodes coming this year that address this issue. Not necessarily how to use less electricity, how to use it more steadily. Last week, we discussed how batteries of parked electric vehicles could smooth the electric demand curve by charging during low demand and feed out to the grid during high demand. Our guest today addresses the same challenge for air conditioners, and the solution is very cool. They've created a technology whereby water is frozen as ice, again during low peak hours, and that cooling is harnessed by air conditioners to help offset the incredible electric load these units demand during the day. There are two designs, a commercial unit that is essentially added to the existing air conditioning system and ductwork, offsetting the work the compressor has to do. All that's added to the existing air conditioner is an ice evaporator coil connected to the unit holding the ice. A residential system operates like a standard air conditioner, everything is replaced. It's a concept that is in a lot of ways cutting edge for both 2018 and 1918. And our guest says this ice battery is just the beginning. Our guest today is Mike Hopkins, CEO of Ice Energy, a Santa Barbara-based energy storage company. Founded in 2003, their biggest product is what they call the Ice Bear, a thermal battery that looks a lot like an air conditioner that essentially functions like an ice maker. In some cases, Ice Energy has partnered with utilities and given away these units to commercial customers. We'll explain the incentive to do that. I sure hope you enjoy my interview with Mike Hopkins. 
right, so we're here with Mike Hopkins, CEO of Ice Energy. And Mike, starting off, I think it's important that you called your ice bear unit a battery as opposed to an air conditioner or a cooling unit. Take us through the thought process as you were finding the right way to position this technology. Well, thanks, Jay. Positioning the technology, and I guess that's true for everybody in our industry, is an extremely important priority to getting this right and getting your business launched. We thought about this in two respects. One, simply, how do you communicate the technology? And then I'd say, how do you position it? Which by positioning, I think of more as how do you position the value proposition? How do you actually sell the product? Yeah, we hit pretty early on on it's a battery. It stores energy. It's just not energy in the form of electricity. It's energy in the form of cooling. And we further made it clear in our communications that that's a good thing, that it's not electricity, but rather that it's cooling. Because what we're storing is what's actually needed for this specific purpose. If you're trying to cool your home or you're trying to cool your building, you don't actually need electricity. You need cooling. It's just if you get it in the normal way, you need electricity to run your air conditioner. But with our ice bear, you are able for a period of time, in the case of our commercial system, or in the case of our residential system, you're able to permanently cool it just with the ice cooling. Then in terms of the more challenging matter for us was not so much how do you describe it, but how do you sell it? How do you show the value? That was a case of, and continues to be the case of, looking for situations in markets where cooling, specifically air conditioning, is a problem. And fortunately for us, there's a lot of places where cooling is a problem and a lot of places where cooling is the problem on the electricity grid. And that's a function of just how air conditioners work. Mike, take us through a little air conditioning 101 for those of us who aren't HVAC trained. (laughs) Why are (laughs) air conditioners such energy hogs? I think most people think it's just the fan to blow the cooled air around, but that's not the case, right? That is not the case. The fan, I'd say, is actually the least of the problem created by air conditioners. The fan of an HVAC system represents less than 5% of the electricity needed for air conditioning. So you can kind of put that to the side as that's not the issue. The issue is air conditioners use compressors. It's a motor. And like motors generally, they operate most efficiently in the cold. The colder it is around the motor, the more efficiently it runs. When it gets hot, your compressor on your air conditioner is running under bad conditions. It's hot out, therefore it's not performing as efficiently as you'd like it to. That is made much, much worse by the fact that the harder it has to work, the less efficient it is. And that's what happens, Jay, when it's getting hotter and hotter outside. Your air conditioner, specifically the compressor, is having to work and the more intensely it operates, the less efficient it is. And that's really why you have this spike in electricity demand when it gets hot. On a hot day, You've got all these air conditioners, they're all working hard. The hotter it gets, the more they work. And they're getting less and less efficient, working more and more. And that combination of getting less and less efficient and working harder and harder creates this tremendous spike in electricity demand. 
And, you know, one of the things I thought was very interesting about this technology is that it's both cutting edge and it's old fashioned. You know, I could imagine people 100 years ago, they had a big old block of ice and were thinking, why don't we just run a fan over this? How did you come to this solution? And one of the things I may also add to that is, did you come to the solutions like, hey, this would be a very novel way to cool a space? Or did you come to this idea of let's defer energy usage tonight and use it in the daytime? Well, you're absolutely right that the technology is an old, old technology. People have made ice, used ice for cooling, to store cooling and to provide cooling for a long, long time. The founders of our company, the inventors of our technology were certainly aware of that and therefore viewed the use of water to create ice and the storage of cooling in the form of ice as a old and totally proven technology and one that if you can do it properly, it's very efficient. They grabbed onto ice as a great idea as a storage medium. Then their focus was solving a problem with air conditioners by using ice. The founders, the inventors of the ice bear, they were zeroed in on, okay, I'm going to harness this resource and its ability to be frozen and to store cooling. And I'm going to just make ice when it's good to make ice, meaning if I'm gonna use electricity when it's good to use electricity, and I am going to use that ice to be able to not use electricity when I don't wanna use electricity. And if you can do those things, you've eliminated the whole problem with air conditioning. In fact, you've taken that problem and you've actually turned it into a resource, like a good thing. Instead of it using electricity at the worst possible time, it actually then, once you've added the ice bear, it only uses electricity at the best time, and it uses no electricity when you don't want it to. Although it is simple in concept and totally reliable, it proved to be quite challenging, Jay, to actually do this in a way that's practical in the real world. You encounter the problems of having to be able to mass produce. You encounter the problems of having to make ice do what it is you want it to do efficiently at a low cost in a commercial way. It's a problem that we overcame and in the process, even though we make ice and melt ice, we have 16 patents around how you do that in a manner that is efficient, reliable, cost-effective, and can be mass produced and brought to the world. And one of the things you mentioned, uh, commercial, you also have a residential offering. Those two units work a little bit different. It appears that your residential units replace an air conditioner entirely, but your commercial units essentially graft on to the existing air conditioning system. How did you arrive at those two models? And in the case of the commercial unit, why not replace that unit entirely? The commercial unit was the first unit that we made, and it dates all the way back to 2008. We've got about a thousand of them that have been deployed. And you can best think of that exactly as I think you described it at the beginning of our talk, which was it's a battery for an air conditioner. It's grafted onto an air conditioner. It's connected to it. The reason we did not come at it as, well, let's just replace the commercial air conditioner with this new ice-based air conditioner is in a commercial setting, these are put up on the roof. And specifically, they are put up by necessity right onto the ductwork. They have to provide cooling into the ductwork. The ductwork is not where the posts are that hold up the roof. In the case of a typical air conditioner, they can be put right on the ductwork, and that's because they're not that heavy. We can certainly make a system, Jay, that is a replacement for a commercial air conditioner. The challenges with that would be, well, then you got to put it up on the roof. And if you put it up on the ductwork, it'll go right through the roof because in the case of an ice bear, it has 
450 gallons of water in it. So that's heavy. So we took the approach, but I'd say even in retrospect, the way to go that it's an add-on, it's a retrofit, it's a battery for an air conditioner. In the case of the residential system, which is relatively much newer, we initially thought of the same thing, but we pretty quickly, as our R&D group dug into this, saw that there was the opportunity to do just what you described, which is we can fully replace the air conditioner. And that's because the condensing unit, it's not up on the roof, it's down on the ground, and it's quite easy to just pull it out and put an ice bear right where that is. And the fact that the ice bear, even the home unit, is much heavier than a home air conditioner is irrelevant because it's on the ground. And then it just feeds in to the ductwork exactly like the outdoor condensing unit did. Interesting. And speaking of residential systems, especially, according to your literature, you say you can provide six hours of air conditioning before the ice bear needs to recharge. Now, what about places where I grew up, like Texas and Louisiana, where in the summertime, it's muggy at 2 a.m. You need air conditioning all day long. What about situations like that? In the case of the commercial system, again, thinking of it as a battery, the ice bear has the ability for six hours to turn off the air conditioner and provide all the cooling you want, no matter how hot it is. Once it's done that, you revert back to what you would do if you didn't have the battery, which is the air conditioner just runs like an air conditioner. In the case of the home system, it's a pretty elegant setup. The home system has a compressor, just like an air conditioner, but its compressor does two things. It cools your home exactly like a normal air conditioner. It can do that 24 hours a day if you wanted to. However, when it cycles off, which every air conditioner does, our system checks to see whether there's water or ice in its tank. And if there's water in its tank, every time the air conditioner compressor cycles off, it makes ice instead of cooling air. So it develops the stored cooling in the form of ice. With the residential system, it has the ability to cool your home 24 seven, regardless of how hot it is, and the ability for any four hour period you choose to stop using electricity. So obviously you will do that when electricity prices are high, electricity is scarce, you'll be able to eliminate your use of electricity for four hours and still cool your home. And by the way, if it's muggy, that's great because ice is a natural dehumidifier. You will dehumidify as you cool. You know, it feels better and it actually requires less cooling because if it's drier, you don't need to cool as much. Right. Finally, a benefit to humidity for all those folks down there sweating it out in the summertime. I'm curious, what if it's going to be chilly the following day and you don't need an ice bear to freeze all of that ice? Is there logic that tells a unit to, I don't know, take the night off? There is. And just so you know, you can simply not make ice, but what it more typically will do will be because of the thermal mass of its size and because it's in an insulated tank, if you make ice one day, the melting of the ice is negligible. If you just make a tank of ice and don't use it for 30 days, you will have lost about 10% of it. But if you're in an environment where say, you just don't air condition period of months where you know you're not gonna use your air conditioner, then yes, the ice bear can simply not make it ice and then it'll get back into its pattern of making ice. But it automatically, by the way, knows if you need to create cooling, it will do it. And if you don't, it just sits dormant. I think some people at home might be doing the math and going, it would seem like it would take a lot more energy to make ice than run a compressor for standard air conditioning. Is less energy consumed freezing ice than running a standard air conditioner? How should we think about that math? Yeah, it does require more energy to make ice. 
but then ice provides much more cooling than just cooling air. If you look at how much energy was used by the air conditioner just operating before it had the ice bear, and you compare that to how much energy you used by having both those systems and having them work together with the ice bear acting as the battery, if you make ice at night, it actually comes out to almost exactly the same amount of energy. And that's notwithstanding the fact that the ice bear is a battery. It is a storage system, and every storage system in the world has a round-trip efficiency of something less than 100%. It loses energy through the storage function. In the case of our system, it loses 15% of the energy through the storage function. So it has a round-trip efficiency of 85%. However, if you use it in what I call the conventional way, which is you make ice at night and you provide that cooling in the heat of the day. Instead of using your air conditioner, you actually get about a 15% efficiency pickup, which offsets the round trip efficiency loss. So it ends up being even. Let's say you want to make ice in the middle of the day because you've got solar and you want to make the most use of solar. Well, then you lose that efficiency, but you're capturing the solar energy that you otherwise would have wasted. Either way, it's a good thing to do. I've been talking to a lot of folks lately about deferring electrical consumption to off-peak hours. How does Ice Bear fit into the picture of peak shaving? And I guess the bigger question might be, how much consumption during peak hours do air conditioners contribute? Air conditioners in the typical grid represent about 30% at least of the peak demand in the day. And they are, I would say, the peakiest part of the peak demand. They're the load that's the most variable. Generally speaking, the hotter the climate, the more that air conditioning represents the peak. The vast majority of problems on grids are peak problems. And that is true even now when we're seeing the so-called duck curve, which is a case where there still is a peak, it's just later in the day, and that later in the day peak is still driven by air conditioning. And it's driven by, generally speaking, residential areas where people have home solar and they're creating a lot of solar generation. And then they come home, turn on their air conditioner, that's what's creating this new peak later in the day where it spikes up. So now we have two problems and the ice bear, specifically our home unit, is a perfect solution to that problem where you just have it make ice during the day while you would be overproducing your electricity requirements. Now you just push that solar generation into the making of ice and then you cool your home with that solar power, form of ice cooling when you come home and cool your home with ice. Tell us about some of the programs you've done. There was a Nantucket project and one in Orange County, California, where it says you provided units. Did you really give them away? How do those programs work? Well, we have two types of programs. One I call a utility program, and the other would be retail sales. We do sell our systems, sometimes through distributors, sometimes directly to businesses and homes that want them and where they have an economic incentive to control when you use electricity. Most of our business to date has been our utility programs where our systems are being deployed not primarily for the benefit of building owners or homeowners. Now, they'll benefit if they participate in the program, but the real purpose of the program is a grid program. It's a program where a utility has come to us with a problem they're having on their grid, and we work together to see if it's a problem that we can fix by the deployment of ice bears, either on commercial buildings or on homes. And if it is, 
that's a case where the utility wants these units in very specific areas and they want them to operate at very specific times so that the physical location and the operation of these units permanently fixes the problem. And the problem, it can be too much power, it can be not enough power at certain times, not enough power in the right area, too much power in the wrong area. We design that program and we deploy that program for the utility. And in that case, the utility is paying for the systems and usually paying for the installation of the systems. And in that case, buildings and homes are, I'd say, hosts of these utility assets. They benefit because if they're operated the way the utility wants them to, they're also going to minimize the utility bill for the customer. So that's the benefit they get. The utility, they get what I call the big benefit. They've solved the problem. And our product has been used to eliminate the need for a new gas peaking power plant, to eliminate the need for a new substation, transmission lines, feeder upgrades, all kinds of expensive grid infrastructure that isn't necessary. You're reducing the duck curves, right? You're flattening a lot of that out, right? We are. Sometimes we're eliminating the traditional middle-of-the-day peak. Sometimes we're flattening the duck curve. The bottom line is we can use our resource to fix any problem that you can trace to air conditioning. <laughs> you say this product is reducing greenhouse gases. Share the math on that for those out there. Well, that's pretty simple. In the case of California, our product reduces CO2 emissions by about 2,000 pounds a year per ice bear. The reason for that is simply that our product, in the case of eliminating peak demand, reduces the need for gas peakers. Gas peakers are very efficient fossil fuel-based plants that operate very infrequently. And because they're infrequent, they're not good when it comes to CO2 emissions. To the extent that you cannot operate them, you eliminate those CO2 emissions. We do not create CO2 emissions of any kind. We eliminate it by reducing the need for peak power plants. What does the future look like for ICE Energy? What are your big plans for expansion and rolling this out even more than you've done already? Well, with the products that we have commercially available today, which is the product for commercial and industrial buildings and the new residential product, our ambition is that these are everywhere. Wherever there's air conditioning, there's ice bears. And in the case of our residential system, our ambition is to literally replace the conventional air conditioner so that you do not see conventional air conditioners anywhere anymore. You see our systems, which are much more energy efficient, much more intelligent, and much more suited to the modern grid. We cannot do that ourselves. So in the case of both those products, we are working actively right now on developing the right partnerships to enable us to accomplish this mission of replacing conventional air conditioners. Well, that's really exciting. We look forward to that. I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. I'm going to start with natural gas. Among fossil fuels, relatively good, but really just a bridge in my mind to a future in renewables, and the future is getting really close to the present. Crude oil. Not good. Nuclear. Scary. Coal. Bad. Wind. <laughs> Promising. Not quite there technologically. It has not made the progress technically that solar has but I think still promising and still part of a renewable future. Solar. Great. Amazing strides technologically, amazing strides on the cost side. And really, I think getting to the point where as we get into solar coatings, solar can be everywhere and anywhere in the future. Extremely exciting. Biofuels. It's interesting, not very efficient. To me, it's not going to be a big part of the future. Fuel cells. In a very different way from uh, biofuels, I'd say interesting, but it's not the direction I think we're going. 
hydroelectric? Hydroelectric is just a good thing. It's like pumped storage. If you've got the right physical location and you can do it, it's an amazing energy source. It's just limited by the fact that there are, relatively speaking, very few places in the world where you can do it. So you always have to think of it as as good as it is, it can only ever be a very small part of the total solution. Geothermal. I put that in the category of interesting. You know, if you're in an off-grid situation, a great idea. Whenever I've looked at it, it seems to be expensive and difficult and requires specific engineering for every specific site you do. Not in my mind, the future where you need to do something that can be mass produced and put everywhere. Electric vehicles. Way of the future. Great in every respect. Energy efficiency. Megawatts. Energy efficiency used to be, by definition, a good thing, but now we're in a world that is changing. When you've got homes that are energy efficient, which is generally true, it's exacerbating the problem. The problem is they're creating too much power and they're not using enough. So being energy efficient in that case is bad. So I think we're in a world where we're kind of redefining what energy efficiency is to make sure that it's still a good thing. It's interesting. I was going to say, and then what do you think of ice energy? Because I was going to classify ice energy as energy efficiency. But of all those different technologies that I've listed, do you think you fall under energy efficiency or do you think you fall under something else? Almost like fuel cells in a way. It's a battery, right? What do you think? Well, I'd say we are energy efficient. We're more so, though, energy storage, allowing the control of when you use energy and when you don't use energy. Fantastic. And then finally, nuclear fusion. Back in the category of scary, I'm just not a fan of nuclear. I never have been. And part of it is I'd say I'm not a fan of central plant design, just not a believer in large centrally designed central plant systems like our current electricity grid. I think the future is a distributed one where as much as possible, the creation of energy, the storage of energy, the control of energy is all at the point of consumption. And the grid is just there as a network to connect people so that energy can be traded and moved around that it's generated at the point of consumption. All right. Very interesting observation. Mike Hopkins, Ice Energy, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That was Mike Hopkins, CEO of Ice Energy. Mike told me an ice bear program in Redding, California, has offset the need for a new natural gas peaking power plant, and the city believes that the ice bear effort may curb the city's need for additional generation like that indefinitely. And I also asked him what may be next for the company. Think about it. What else in your house uses a lot of power? See all the wonderful ideas in this Frigidaire cold pantry at your own Frigidaire dealer. Yep, Mike says his developers are currently testing a refrigerator refrigerator model, which we joke was probably very similar to the ice boxes our grandparents used to have. Mike says they are using glycol to help get temperatures lower, and we should be hearing more about that very soon. Special thanks to both Mike and Courtney Scott at Trevi Communications for setting this up. They also sent me some great photos, which you can find on Instagram at Host Energy and online at energy-cast.com. The opinions expressed on this program are both mine and my guests alone. All guests are sent the finish and raw audio the week of release to ensure they are depicted accurately. So far, no complaints. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 30. Huge milestone. Thanks to my guests and listeners out there for helping us get this far. I started interviews about a year ago and never could have imagined some of the terrific guests and technologies I'd get to cover through this program. And we aren't going anywhere. We hope you do the same. I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time. <laughs>